It's Monday, which means it's time for another round of the Monday Mess Hall here on Views in the Crow's Nest. Well, hello again, listeners, and welcome to the first Monday of February. And welcome back to Views from the Crow's Nest, a podcast about emerging trends in finance, technology, and various other domains of the business sector. This podcast is produced in-house for Fisher Jordan, a New York-based consulting and thought leadership firm bringing scientific principles to bear on the business world. We use rigorous data analytics and tailored technology solutions to deliver workable strategies for clients in financial services, healthcare, and beyond. You can find out more about Fisher Jordan, including our approach to delivering client value, career opportunities, and our work within our communities online at fisherjordan.com. That's F-I-S-C-H-E-R, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N.com. This is the Monday Mess Hall, which is a series we're doing here on Views in the Crow's Nest with a few objectives in mind. So first, it's the Monday Mess Hall, which means we're trying to record, edit, and release the conversations in the same day, so anything you're hearing in this episode was just recorded this morning. Secondly, our full-length episodes are more of the classic interview style with subject matter experts, but we wanted the conversations here on the Mess Hall to be a little more off the cuff, while also focusing more on current events or hot-button topics that are even more specific than the trends we discuss in our longer form episodes. We give ourselves a few hours to research the topics ahead of time, so obviously by the time we actually hit record on these things, we are experts and are definitely not shooting from the hip at all. Sound like a mess? That's because it is. And for right now, it's a friendly mess between Fisher Jordan teammates, but if you'd like to get in on this, feel free to reach out to us at engage at fisherjordan.com. All right, that's enough of me. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome to the mess hall here on Views from the Crow's Nest. Welcome, you two, to another edition of the Monday Mess Hall. Uh, today we have Jivraj Karwa and once again, Boaz Salik. Welcome, you two. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Happy to be here. Good to be here again. So some of the things that we're going to get into today... Um, at least where we're going to start. Um, first, we're going to talk about some things in uh, the data analytics domain. There's a new term that is um, being discussed lately called zero-party data um, that we're going to talk a little bit about that, get into, actually, there's some debate around it. Um, so we'll get into some of that. And then uh, kind of following up from our last uh, full-length episode that we just published with um, Trevor Barron, where we talked a lot about uh, the metaverse and things like that. We're going to take a look at kind of a subsection of that topic as well, and basically just ask the question, who are who are the ones that actually want the metaverse to be built? Like, it, it, Do we feel like that's a a hype that sort of is trying to sustain itself, or is there actually some sort of consumer demand for it? And also, do we think that the best version of this technology is one not run by the ones most capable of funding it? So that's kind of what we have on deck for today. Let's just go ahead and jump in here uh, with that first topic. So first, we'll, we'll talk about zero-party data here. Um, do you guys know what that means, first of all? To my understanding, zero-party data is something like 
uh, I would provide intentionally. For example, when uh, I'm logging in or signing up for Netflix, I would provide like what kind of genres I like, what kind of um, what languages I want to watch movies or the shows in and stuff like that. Like apart from my name, my PII data essentially, the data I would provide intentionally for my life to become easier when I'm watching the shows or I'm using Netflix. Yeah, and I think the, just to elaborate there, I think there's been kind of a debate about whether is zero party data really just a, another term for certain kinds of first party data or does it constitute its own category? Right, exactly. Because yeah, first party data is, is things like um, to use the example that Jivraj just gave, you know, first party data is when you actually gave your email address to Netflix to create an account, for instance, but then potentially zero party data could be something like um, things that you do within the service that help improve the service. So do you think that this, if it is like a separate category, do you guys think that it gives us anything new that we don't already have with the existing categories of data, um, first, second, uh, third party data um, are kind of the, the main ones, I think. Oh, I honestly don't think it's necessary to have because let's take example of Netflix. I really don't need to give what my interests are. Once I start watching, the algorithm will do its calculation will show me those genres or similar genres which actually will be helpful for me i could watch multiple things rather than just being stuck to one right mm -hmm. so i i really don't think it gives much of like additional stuff in there yeah it's actually interesting that you used the netflix example nathan because netflix was actually one of the firms that initially helped validate the idea that actual usage data is way 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 more powerful and more indicative of future behavior than information provided by the consumer about themselves in the form of zero-party data or survey data or what have you so it is kind of ironic that things are now circling back and people are saying oh no you know never mind that data is actually helpful and it does make you wonder is it it's it's obviously something that's actually going on in the industry, but is it more something that's being promoted by the advertising agencies and the, the people who are kind of trying to sell in that next paradigm of marketing in, into the um, into the large consumer facing companies, or is it actually like a novel and and most importantly, is it a useful form of data that's going to give companies additional information they didn't already have? Yeah, and I think that's where I mean it factors into how companies like us do data analytics right like if you have an extra category of things that you need to parse through clean and merge and, and all that um, but i think it is still unclear whether it would be worth treating as a separate entity and then um, what kind of insights you could derive from it and i think that the zero party stuff what makes it fit into that category is that the user knows they they are consciously engaging in some sort of either a survey or some sort of process where they know that okay i'm actually this is different from information i've already given them but i am still giving them willfully a certain kind of information that's that's my understanding of it 
so the usage data as boaz was mentioning it's something i i can understand it's going to be like useful or it's going to be determining the future trends for person like and as you said rightly that it's the data collected and user gives it intentionally this data can be useful but its applications lie in like certain places uh so for example like the types of shows i am watching the types of movies i am watching on netflix can that actually help in credit decisioning by bank and netflix actually sell this data to banks or alternate lenders and uh, can that be included in the credit scoring models honestly i'm not sure if that will help or not i, I think that's the underlying question i'm glad you got to that jivraj i was hoping that we would get to that question in particular i'm curious like coming at it from from the perspective of this firm if we think that something like credit decisioning could be a potential use case of something like zero party data or if it is probably constrained to different use cases because we have kind of explored the potential for using more non-traditional data in the credit decisioning process um, again it's just one example um, when I started learning about this, I wondered if this could potentially be something that then provides additional insights to that process. Boaz, I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think like with anything, it, it needs to develop a little bit before we have more clarity about it. It's, it's pretty clear that not every form of zero-party data is going to be extremely useful from a marketing perspective or, or a decision science perspective. but it's also increasingly clear that some forms of, of zero-party data are going to be very useful, and that depends on the audience and the relevance level and how is the data gathered, what, what's promised in exchange for the data, because typically the data is linked to some kind of um, promise or um, promotion on, on behalf of the company doing the marketing. So so what kind of what's linked to that? We see in surveys a lot of times the the quality and reliability of the survey responses are, are heavily dependent on how people are being compensated and incented to take the survey. So I expect similar kind of dynamic to happen with zero party data. But you know, it does seem to be a, a kind of a major direction that the industry is going to go in. So I think overall, you're going to see a, a probably a large increase in the, n the number of places and the number of times that we're being asked for this data. That's probably a good read. I just hope that um, we don't find ourselves in a situation where pop-ups become even more annoying because now instead of just hitting the X, now you actually have to type something in in order to make them go away. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we'll revisit it at some point. Uh, kind of like, let's check back in on zero-party data. How's, how are things going at the end of the year here? But talking about life online and the way that that might change going forward, I think that's a good segue into our next topic here. Again, sort of a follow-up to our uh, much more in-depth discussion on our last episode. If you haven't checked that out already, I definitely would recommend it. Really interesting conversation with Trevor Barron from CloudTree Ventures. Great to talk with him some more about uh, the metaverse and um, the technologies primarily that are being developed to power this. But I wanna dig in here with you guys on sort of a subsection of that discussion that we had. So let's just start with the question, 
do we think that anybody is really excited? <laughs> like, is anybody from a consumer perspective really into the idea of the metaverse? Or do we think that this is basically just all hype, no product, and everybody's kind of feeling like they should care about it? And that's how you end up with people like us talking about it on a podcast, you know? Let's just start there. And there's there's some other directions I want to go with this question, but I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on this first. One in one part, it feels like, yeah, it's kind of getting, it will get kind of necessary if you down the line or it will, it may get like a very essential thing, but on other hand, it also feels like, why do I want to interact with cartoons? Uh, every time I have to put the large goggles on and I'm just interacting with cartoons or I would rather would want to go out and enjoy myself. Right. So uh, I myself have a little dilemma on that one that, okay, like do I really want Metaverse to happen or it's just like um, another thing in tech that every few years down the line, you need uh, in tech, you need something to get the funds going. For example, Facebook has reached uh, in recent results, their users decline. Is that indication of like, Facebook has reached its saturation and that's why they are on the next step to get to like, okay, now Metaverse is the next thing and then Microsoft is also going behind that and bunch of other companies. So uh, that's kind of a basic take on this. Yeah, certainly with the Metaverse, uh, you always kind of come back to the question and I, th I think we did cover this with Trevor as well. Um, how far does it really go beyond just gaming, right? I don't think any of us doesn't have people in their immediate circle of family and friends that's really big into gaming and spends you know large percentages of their free time already online in the form of of multiplayer gaming, right? So that part's already there. So there is there is some significant segment of the population that's essentially living a big part of their life online. So from that perspective, just by definition, you could argue that piece of the metaverse already exists and it's already a real thing that people are attracted to. The question is how far beyond that will the metaverse eventually go, right? That's where you get into things like the NFTs and you know some of these uh, seemingly high actual dollar values that people are paying for, for online things like yachts and whatnot. So that's a TBD. The other question is also like, what's the motivation? So so when big tech like the the Facebooks and Microsofts of the world position themselves as as like the, the big metaverse players, what's the motivation behind that? It's like, is it actually that they see the revenue stream coming from that direction? Are they trying to just proactively position themselves as a as a potential call option? Should that direction materialize, or is it something else? And maybe maybe that's the thing. The people that are kind of pushing this change don't really see it as an as a totally new thing they they do see this as the next iteration of the technologies that we are already using and have already adapted to the the question that you brought up boaz about how much application does this have outside of gaming i think at that point there's going to need to be work done to shift public perception away from something like Remember, we talked with Trevor about the, you know, the ready player one thing where you're kind of you're either fully online or you're out in the real world. But Trevor, I remember, brought up 
the topic of OMO, online merge with offline, that's where you start to get into things like artists creating displays that it's like the idea of the Pokemon Go stuff where you go to a real physical location, but there's a digital asset that's then tied to that place. And it's it could be an art installation that you then are able to interact with in the digital space through, I guess, the equivalent of like a Google Glass kind of thing. That, I think, is where there's probably the most potential, the online merge with offline bit, rather than just like you're either in the this kind of fake world interacting with cartoon versions of your friends or you're sitting at their actual table talking to them. Does that resonate with you guys at all? Yeah, kind of does for me. Uh, one question I always wondered, like uh, the thing that was brought up, people are spending large money in buying in virtual space. How far can you go? <laughs> I always wondered, like, or can we get or till we get to eat in that virtual space? That's the limit. I, I can go to restaurant virtually, but I cannot eat virtually there. For me, I think that's the limit. Yes, when they have you on the IV drip feed, you're not going to have to worry about eating. <laughs> well, then there's no fun in life left after that. <laughs> um, I'm sure Neuralink will develop an electrode that can stimulate your brain into thinking that you're eating. Well, probably we already are a simulation for some intelligent world and a human being, and now we are trying to develop another simulation. Well, that's the other thing. This whole metaverse is kind of really, I feel like it's really sparked this whole philosophical argument of are we living in a simulated reality or are we living in quote unquote real reality? But yeah, that's probably outside that, the scope of what we can talk about. Yeah, or at least with any credibility, right? After hours. <laughs> but Jeffers, I guess what you're saying is, is the limits of the metaverse are there's some parallel between the limits of how far the metaverse can can take us in terms of adoption and to what degree uh, your sensory stimuli can be engaged through through an online experience. Right. Let's take, for example, like the first thing that could go into metaverse is shopping. Shopping, for few people, it's actually a necessity. I go, I buy stuff for things I need. For some people, it's like experience, right? The latter part, you said that how far your sensory stimuli can go, right? So if I want experience of shopping, I can go with that. I can go um, in Metaverse. Even if I want to purchase things, I can buy in Metaverse and then I get those delivered home. Not really like experience, I would call. But um, still, at the end of the day, that's plausible explanation but um the latter part like the things you consume outside which is another type of experience that you cannot get in uh, metaverse or you won't be able to get or who knows that's possible in future that's what i was getting at actually but yeah like there would be some limit it can develop till a point there would be some limit the answer to the question as to like is it uh really there is a demand or it's just like 
the tech companies are orienting the public towards it so public starts moving towards it i'm just going to take this argument just one step further if i can but i'm just going to postulate that there will be a day where you can go online and not only see and hear things but smell taste and feel things as well let's just assume that those technologies will eventually come around so at that point you have a choice and and if you think of all these kind of post-apocalyptic movies about people living their lives online because reality is so bleak is there anything preventing that that kind of thing from happening where you know online you essentially have unlimited resources and can do anything you want or almost anything you want offline you have limited resources and in fact like we're competing for resources and we have a deteriorating environment and whatnot so in that scenario would you be able to envision what a lot of these storytellers are telling us that people actually will will start living online essentially well at that point i can envision this going in or like customers widely using it but that's like a very very long way to go i mean um, if you look at users of like facebook for example like in how many years almost like 16 to 17 years they capped their users maybe the growth stopped now or we don't know like in in, in this quarter the number of users decreased is that like indication of like okay till this point the tech companies can go and this is the proportion of the users who will be willing to use such products given that set in mind will consumer widely accept the concept of metaverse or again coming to basic question are tech companies pushing it because it's the next thing in the world with pandemic all these things came in play very fast compared to what they were used to be before like before it was mainly like gaming consoles so are we going far beyond in just very short span of time before three years before like 2019 if you saw mainly consoles were used for like gaming xbox or playstation we didn't see much beyond that would now and then you would see movie in 3d but nothing beyond that much as right now then the shopping experience came in that was also developing for a while and now we're buying things on like virtual space buying lands in virtual space god knows what we're going to do of that but those things happened pretty quickly in last two three years so has pandemic kind of uh, stimulated that part in a sense yes but is pandemic gonna last forever no people would want to go offline it's as we saw it's the mental fatigue that's driving people crazy at a lot of spaces and if you're putting people permanently inside home that may change a lot of equations so jivraj kind of using what you said about the the pandemic kind of accelerating some of these changes but recognizing the the fact that the pandemic is hopefully a temporary phenomenon uh, for a time it made life in the real world hard to access and hard to be a part of 
So then the online sector grew. And then I heard Boaz, I heard you saying, could you envision something like this taking place or coming to pass because the world kind of reaches this, this more permanent state of, we'll just call it like unlivability. I think that's what we're getting to is like, where did the desire come from or where would the desire come from um, for the, the larger populace to, to want to go to something like this? And I think it is a, man, do I dare say an uninhabitable world? Like, that's kind of what I am thinking of, though. I see some similarity between what you both said there, and that's kind of the, the thread that I saw. But just, just tying it back, I think we started the conversation on a more commercial footing with Meta and Microsoft and what their designs are. I, I do think that, and, and, and frankly, whether the metaverse can succeed if it's being controlled and, and effectively dominated by the current set of big technology companies. And I think that actually ties to one of our previous discussions when we talked about the big tech monopolies and whether and when and in what format the various governments will take action against these monopolies. And I think there is a real possibility that history has proven that government action is necessary to break up monopolies. Monopolies will not break themselves up, nor will are they really in danger of being taken down by smaller competitors. Uh, that, that's kind of been the dynamics in the business world ever since the standard oil monopoly of the late 1800s. So, so I think we're in safe footing saying that uh, that's not going to happen on its own. And therefore, you know, whether and when the government action will happen, I think will help determine a lot of, of the, the direction and evolution of the metaverse and how quickly we can get there. So I was also a part of that discussion about governments breaking the monopoly last year. And uh, like, unless government regulates uh, those metaverse, the companies would itself become government in their own metaverse. Metaverse of Meta, this is Metaverse of Microsoft. There's, let's say Google comes up with another Metaverse. And then the things would, like few years down the line, would be doing podcasts discussing, okay, which Metaverse is, has the worst regulations in it, which has more friendly regulations in it and all that. And then there is no stopping to that. Then there's no monopoly breaking because now you yourself are regulating everything as you want. That's something I hadn't thought of before. A metaverse becomes the new app because if you create your own, then you've got sort of full full control over this thing. And then people can I, people can just sort of choose the best one. It's a lot of work every, if everybody's got their own. But then maybe that also means that it, is a smaller scale thing than just like a, a giant online universe, right? And I think topic for a later discussion at this point is um, how the metaverse can come to pass, how, how the preferred version of it, where it's not dominated by monopolistic behavior, how it can come to pass without those same monopolies that currently exist, right? We may have to pick that up at a different point. I appreciate the uh, the back and forth, guys. Really interesting um, trains of thought here. And as always, uh, it's a pleasure having you both on here on the mess hall here on Views from the Crow's Nest. Let's do it again sometime, huh? Sure. Sounds like a plan. 
That's it for this episode of Views from the Crow's Nest. As with any other podcast, if you enjoyed what you heard here today, we would appreciate it if you left some sort of rating or review on your podcast app of choice, or you can share it with a friend or colleague if you think that they would enjoy the content that we are discussing here. My name is Nathan Johnson, and from all of us here at Fisher Jordan, thank you for listening, and we will see you from the Crow's Nest.